Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and may I welcome you once again to what it will be a fantastic podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available, volumes one through eight, at Amazon in paperback and ebook. And volume eight, so one through eight, are now available at Audible, ACX, Amazon, and iTunes. A lot of work, a lot of effort went into these books, folks, so go out there and show a sign of support and pick one or two up. And by the way, I'm hawking my newest book, How to Make Money, God's Universal Plans or Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. Do pick that up. It will be a real eye-opener for you, I guarantee. <laughs> and now, may I introduce my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Very good. Hey, by the way, I didn't mention it in uh, the early podcast, but uh, you did a gangbusters job solo uh, while I was out of commission. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm certainly glad you're back. It was uh, not the same sitting by myself and recording, but I tried to have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, it's good stuff, you know. I mean, it's... Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, the podcast venue, just like uh, a news broadcast, right? That's why they have a couple of two or three people buzzing along, you know. It, it kind of breaks it up a little bit, you know. Well, it's pretty amazing that in over 100 episodes, uh, neither one of us had missed one. So that's that's pretty good right there. Yeah, it's a no. little shocking. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, it, but it was cool, and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know. And uh, I even, uh, I don't know if you listened to it, Bill, but I might have mentioned to the fact that some black-eyed children may have come to your door <laughs> asking to use your telephone. <laughs> and maybe that's why you didn't make the podcast. Let me tell you something. Just don't worry about it. We only want to use your phone. Let me tell you something right now. Any black-eyed kid show up at my door, it's going to be a <laughs> jack fest on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say to them, oh. can you little fellas hold on for a minute? I just want to get something. <laughs> oh, we could come in while you go and get it. 
<laughs> I'm going to come out. The- We're going to have to do another black-eyed children one. That's just everybody. Everybody can't get enough of the black-eyed children. Well, you know, remind me, Kev, uh, the next time around, because I happen to have a black-eyed child in reserves. <laughs> so you may want to remind me about that, and I'm going to have to. Uh, that this other black-eyed kid story is one uh, for the books. <laughs> and right. if you remind All me, right. I'm going to pull it out, and we'll do that. You know, it's it's in the world of Bigfoot. There's so many strange things going on. Uh, Back to the Expedition Bigfoot crew. At one point in time, they had on infrared a huge heat signature across this creek. I mean, maybe we're talking 60 feet. When uh, Dr. Mayor turns the flashlight on, there's nothing there. She turns the flashlight off, and here's this huge heat signature on the other side of this creek. Sounds like a little Skinwalker Ranch portal phenomenon. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. That's you. You just can't make this stuff up. There's a lot of weirdness surrounding this phenomena. Uh, freaking orbs of light, hearing things and seeing nothing. Uh, branches breaking with nothing visible where the branch is being broke. H- how do you explain that? That's like, talk about high strangeness. Mm. That's really weird, man. Well, speaking of high strangeness. Uh-oh. <laughs> are you ready to get some creep on? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah daddy-o. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this week cryptids in the news and other oddities, we're going to talk about something that seems innocent on the surface. Hmm. But as you scratch below the surface, it gets a little creepier and creepier. Hmm. Well, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about something called a spirit board or talking board or what you probably know as a Ouija board. Ah, uh, yes. The creepiest <laughs> of creep, the Ouija. A <laughs> uh, little game that a lot of people played, and then when you really stop to think about what's going on there, and uh, we'll talk about some of that, you might not uh, go to bed with that Ouija board game under your bed tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, Kev. So, you know, if you don't know the Ouija board or you're not quite sure if you remember what I'm talking about, this is a flat board. I think it was Hasbro, but yeah, I think it was Hasbro that made it as a game. It was super popular in the United States, probably back in the (laughs) 70s or so. And uh, it was a flat board and it had the alphabet on it, numbers from zero to nine and uh, the words yes and no. And occasionally it would have hello and goodbye, and then also some kind of weird symbols and graphics. 
Yeah. So it's this flat board, like a board game, with this writing on it. And then there was a small kind of heart-shaped piece of plastic or wood uh, called a planchette. And uh, that was an indicator. So like everybody would put their hands, their fingertips on the edges of this planchette. And they would ask the Ouija board questions. And the planchette would guide itself to either yes or no, or to the letters, or a combination of letters, or the numbers. Mm -hmm. And it usually was done during like a seance, trying to speak to those that are no longer here in the physical on Earth. Mm -hmm. Hey, by the way, Kev, uh, the Ouija, Ouija or Ouija board was actually picked up by Parker Brothers. Okay, but it was Hasbro back then. Was it? For sure. Okay, yeah. and Parker Brothers, uh, I believe, said that at one point it was selling more than Monopoly. Oh, I believe which it. Which was their... Probably their most popular board game at the time, you know? Mm, yeah. And by the way, if you go all the way back, uh, 1100 A.D. in China, they talk about something similar. Um, they, they mention it as automatic writing, um, where something like a, a, a Ouija board was used to communicate with the spirit world. Great. So it goes back in time, yeah, like a lot of creepy things do. Yeah, well, you know, people don't learn their lessons. There's always people out there that are looking for something they don't have, wherever it may be found. Right. And the original Ouija board was created in Baltimore, Maryland in 1890, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So, and where do you think it came out of, Bill? Like, what... what what drove, uh, uh, what's believed to have driven a lot of the phenomena and the desire to talk to the dead back in the 1890 time frame? Uh, this is a hard one, but I don't know if you know it or not. In the 1890 time frame, what would have, well, uh, that was a time when they were delving into a lot of what was called spiritualism. Yeah, and... and uh, one of the reasons why they were doing that, do you remember, was because of so the Civil War. So, so many people had died, and so many people knew people that died so suddenly mm -hmm. that it led to this uh, spiritualism uh, era of sorts in the U.S. So, you're spot on. Yeah, there was a lot, there was a uh, big uprise or rise in people who said they were mediums. Uh, yep. Seances, yep. Uh, all of this stuff, because people wanted to talk, uh, who had suffered losses, uh, were believing they could talk to these people. And a lot of people were throwing con games back then, uh, fakery and whatnot. Uh, yep. uh, if you remember, do you remember Harry Houdini, Kev? Of course you do, right? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. Uncle Harry. Yeah, Uncle Harry. I think Harry was on <laughs> a little bit of a mission at one time. Because he had caught somebody, uh, I think, trying to dupe him. Uh, and he went on a little rampage, if I recall correctly, uh, trying to uncover uh, people around that were faking it. And uh, a lot of people were ticked at him at the time, as I recall. 
Because mm. they were making money. They were making money scamming yeah. people. Oh, yeah. Con men have been around for a while. Yep. But, but this is pretty interesting. So, you know, back then, though, uh, you know, after the Civil War, basically everyone, nearly everyone had lost a father, a son, an uncle, a grandfather or a cousin. So basically death touched everybody in a way that had not happened previously in the U.S., and um, people just, you know, they never got a chance to say goodbye to anyone and things like that and didn't really know what happened right to them and probably didn't even really know if they were alive or dead, mm-hmm. their relatives. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes kind of sense. So they would they would use these uh, Ouija boards and some of these folks, these mediums uh, help them try to get in touch with these lost family members mm-hmm. and understand uh, what was going on. Very weird, man. Very weird. Kev, do you remember uh, mom and dad's friends out in Wading River, Evelyn and Franny? Oh, yeah. Okay. Did you ever go over their house when you were young? Do you remember oh, them? Oh, yeah, many times, many times. You remember yeah. the daughter, Susan? Yeah, I do. Okay. So we were over there one day. I know me and Pat were there with Susan. You might have been there. Maybe you were a baby at the time. Susan, Susan invited us up into a little attic space she had. And what do you think she broke out up there? A Ouija board. She sure did. And she was showing me and Pat how it works and this and that. And I remember we put our fingers on the thing and this and that. My recollection, though, was that I, even at that age, whatever that age was, I said to myself, I don't think this is such a good idea. And, like, we, <laughs> we, we ended the session and left the attic, you know. Mm. <clears throat> but I remember that, you know. And this is how innocent these things start out, right? So it's funny you mentioned that. So as I was reading about this, they mentioned, you know, in uh, there's a there's a pretty cool article in the Guardian newspaper uh, from 2016, mm-hmm. you know, the Guardian from the UK, and they talk about the fact that you they said you'll remember the Ouija board from the movie The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, The Exorcist was like. One of the scariest movies, if not the scariest movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And mainly, folks, because evil stuff creeps me out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I definitely believe in evil stuff, and it scares me way more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So me, like a dummy, Bill, when I'm researching this, I'm like, I don't remember that scene in The Exorcist. So I go to YouTube and I say, hey, let's show me the exorcist scene about the Ouija board. And now this is this is before the movie really gets going, before the character played by Linda, ba- Linda Blair gets possessed and stuff like that. Right. So they're her and her mother, innocent looking 70s mom and daughter down in the basement by the ping pong table. And the mother sees this uh, Ouija board. And she's like, hey, uh, where did this come from? And the daughter's like, well, I uh, I found it over there under the stairs. And she's like, oh, that's strange. Like like the mother doesn't remember it at all. And uh, she's like, have you used it? And she said, oh, yeah, I use it all the time by myself. Hmm. 
And the, and the mother's like, um, oh, well, usually you use it with someone else. And she says, well, I do. I use it with Captain Howdy. Mm. And the mother says, who's Captain Howdy? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, well, he's who talks to me when I use the board. Mm. And I'm telling you, Bill, that's the end of the scene on YouTube. And I had chills watching this. Yeah, see, it's like... I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, now, see, when you get those chills, that is a divine warning. Yeah. That's like, stay away, far away. Yeah, I'm not watching any more of that. Yeah, now, the original Exorcist story, uh, which was a true story, was about a boy and his aunt who was engaging him with the Ouija board. Is that right? That's right. And it was a boy, I believe he was in St. Louis, who got possessed. Mm. And I'll go one step further for those who may not be aware, and I'll stand corrected if anybody has additional information. There were a couple of priests involved in the exorcism of this boy, and I believe it went on for a period of like six months. And uh, when all was said and done, the one priest kind of disappeared from the scene. And I mean publicly disappeared. He was hospitalized. And uh, I have never really heard the fullness of what happened because I don't even know as it was released uh, what happened to this man. But what I believe is truth is that he died in the hospital and uh, he, he was there for quite a while and then consequently died. And I had heard that the hospital destroyed all of the furnishings in that wing of the hospital and took the wing down. Hmm. So the reality of this sto story may be even more bizarre than the, yeah, than the movie. Than the movie, which was certainly creepy, but it was Hollywood, right? Yeah, but it was creepy. Anything that deals with demons oh, and yeah. evil is creepy. Yeah. No, it scares it's, me. It's, uh, it's creepy and it's a reality. That's what makes it even more creepy. So and what's interesting, folks, for what it's worth, okay, which is worth a lot to Bill and I, um, but the Catholic Church... In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 2116, explicitly forbids any practice of divination, which includes the usage of Ouija boards. Yeah, and that, Isn't that interesting. That spells it right out, right? Yeah. So, you, so this isn't really an innocent game, and it's definitely a bit of a creep fest. No, and they had to address it. You know, the church has to address these things because people fall prey to it. And uh, you can't sit on your hands. you got to warn people that this is freaking danger all the way around, man. It's invitation only. Yep. You start entertaining Captain Howdy, and all of a sudden <laughs> you realize that Captain Howdy uh, has goat horns and red eyes. <laughs> Unbelievable. More goat horns. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? It, they always come on easy uh, until they got you, you know, and then it's too late. 
Wow. Huh. A freaking week. Yeah, so uh, by the way, Bill, I looked at this while you were talking, and in fact, you are correct. They sold, um, um, uh, the, the, someone sold the game, a family, I guess, to Parker Brothers, which was later bought by Hasbro. Yeah, Parker Brothers first. Yeah. So uh, I sit corrected, yeah, as now, we say. Listen, man. If and apparently Hasbro's website, now I didn't read this, but it says it in this article, warns, handle the Ouija board with respect and it won't disappoint you. Yeah. Well, it disappointed me. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah, with <laughs> respect, you know, respect your local demon. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, because, look, I realize I can't change anybody and not a lot of people care about certain things I talk about. But, man, this is this is really dangerous ground. And you know something? If you ever go on, like, do a Google search on, like, eBay or something, there are there are people selling Ouija boards on there that are like 100 years old. Uh, There's people out there that collect them, Uh, you know, and. uh, Granted, some of the older ones are cooler looking, but that's part of the lore, right, Kev? It's cool, it's weird, it's mysterious, and that opens the door to the invite. Oh, yeah. You know? And, you know, hey, let's shut off the lights. Right. Let's do some chanting. Let's try to contact somebody that's dead. And, uh, hello. (laughs) I'm Kev. Maybe somebody... Maybe somebody else might show up. Yeah, I'm Captain Howdy, the black-eyed sailor. <laughs> but anyway, Bill, I, I mean, again, I, you know, listeners out there, let me know what you think. You're probably laughing at us. But, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty creepy when you really dive in and read about it. It certainly creeps me out. Um, so that's it, Bill, the Ouija board. <coughs> Very cool. Certainly under the category of oddities. No doubt about it. And by the way, I never bought one. We don't have one. So if I come across one later, I may be calling you, Bill. Yes. I'll give you the lighter. I don't know how it got here. I'll give you the lighter fluid and you can ignite it out in the fire pit. Exactly. Well, I got a cool. I might even. I might even put a couple of rounds through it, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really interesting, uh, all Bigfoot stories are interesting, but this is uh, particularly interesting with the detail and whatnot. And this account was told to me by Wayne Rutledge, uh, a resident of the state of what, Kev? Oregon. Oregon. Here is what Wayne had to say about what he and his friend Larry saw. As I told you when we first spoke, Bill, my friend Larry and I initially ran across some evidence of a Sasquatch being in the area we were hiking. And the evidence turned into a full-blown face-to-face sighting in the latter part of the hike. We had planned to hike the Cascade Head Trail on this particular weekend. And as fate would have it, the weather was not exactly cooperating. There was a drizzle and fog, but as it turns out, the conditions worked favorably in regards to the initial evidence we had found. 
evidence, which then had us on guard for the rest of the hike, which I believe was the cause of us ultimately seeing this creature. The two of us were well into the hike, and I must tell you that there are certain areas on this trail where boards were placed in certain spots alongside the trail to prevent erosion. And I just lost my my spot. They were also used to form steps, for lack of a better description, to keep the soil from washing away from the trail. We were entering the third such area during the hike where we encountered these boards, and we were steeped in a dense fog that was enveloping that was that enveloped the canopy that surrounded us. I must say, looking back, that it was a very surreal environment which we found ourselves in. I really didn't give much thought to it then, but hindsight being twenty twenty, I mention it to you now. Some of these makeshift steps were close to 16 inches down, and they were buried in this mud-soaked soil. I was taking the lead on the hike, and from the looks of the muddy soil, nobody had been through here this day before we had come through. I was just looking ahead where I was walking, being careful not to lose my footing on these steps, when I saw a huge impression in a muddy trail that was made perpendicular to the direction which the trail was heading. I called Larry up to where I was, and the two of us stood over and looked down upon what was most definitely a huge human-like footprint in the mud. It looked fairly fresh, and my reason for saying that is that most moisture from the water-soaked soil was just beginning to puddle in the bottom of the singular track. We had actually performed a little experiment in the mud nearby, stepping into it with our own boots to reproduce the same effect. Based on the results of our little test, our opinion was that this print had been made only minutes before we had come upon it. The print, which was somewhat splayed out in the mud, was about 10 inches deep which was three times as deep as our own experimental prints. We had caught it just in time to see the wide, stubby toe impressions. Had we come along five minutes later, they would have been gone. This footprint had to be close to 20 inches long, and whatever had laid it down was a substantial creature indeed. The largest grizzly print that I have ever seen belonged to a bear, that was about 1,500 pounds. That print didn't come close to the size of this one. So I could only imagine what the size of the creature that this belonged to was. In the moment, I looked at Larry and him at me, and our eyes, having not said a word to each other, told the tale. This was the footprint of a Sasquatch, and it was here with us in the woods. The two of us looked into the woods in the direction the print was heading, and then we cautiously parted some of the wet undergrowth, stepping off the trail into the bushes. As soon as we had entered, we heard something dart away through the trees, but saw nothing. I had already felt a cold shiver run down my spine when the reality of what had laid the footprint down connected with my mind. 
But when we heard whatever we heard run away unseen, I was quickly becoming the victim of a full-blown freakout. We continued onward following the trail until we reached a point where the ferns and the undergrowth were so tight to us we were literally brushing them out of the way with our bodies. It was then that Larry said, Hey, did you just see that? I hadn't seen anything because I hadn't been walking I had been walking with my head somewhat down. So I asked him what he had seen. Larry told me he saw me a dark figure appearing in an opening in the bushes, and then it disappeared as soon as it had appeared. He pointed at a spot which was about 80 to 100 feet ahead of us off to our right. We stood our ground for a moment, and then we slowly made our way forward to the spot where he had said he saw it. All of this while hearing nothing. Had I been alone that day, I would have retreated after seeing the footprint. But between the two of us, neither had even mentioned turning back, so we moved forward. We reached a point where we were now well out of the muddiest part of the trail. And we came upon a spot where the trees on our right framed somewhat of a panoramic view of a hillside in the distance. In the middle of this so-called framing that I just described, there was a pine which was considerably smaller than the surrounding trees, standing alone, rising above the brush which it was growing within. No sooner had we begun to look into the distance beholding this panorama than did this small pine begin to violently thrash back and forth. The tree must have been some 30 feet tall or more, with at least half of it being concealed by the brush and bushes. And it was being shaken back and forth like a whip, all of which was happening while the trees around it were dead still. The two of us were looking at each other as if to say, is this really happening? We had heard nothing and seen nothing. And yet here was this tree some hundred feet or so away from us, being shaken back and forth like a pom-pom. The singular event had really gotten the two of us thinking that the only thing capable of performing such an act would be the Sasquatch who had left the print we had discovered earlier. The question was now looming in our minds, was it in fact following us? When I tell you we were getting a little spooked, that would be an understatement. But to stop and head back or to move forward really made no difference at this point. The fact was that the day was starting to clear up, and at least in my own mind, I felt as though this thing might return to its lair at some point if it was a Sasquatch, and that would be the end of it. But that thought process was about to change. It wasn't all that long after this tree shaking when we found ourselves clear of the dense canopy of the forest. The sun now shining brightly, and there were still a lot of trees, but we were breaking out into some more open areas where there were large swaths of tall grass and bramble. We had just stopped in front of a small sign placed on a stake that read, 
fragile habitat area closed. Looking out over this area, it didn't seem much different than many of the other areas we had seen as we walked through. So we were wondering what was so special about this area to designate it as such. There were a number of tall, bushy pines on our left side, and our forward view was that of a field filled with weeds and some small trees. We could make out a hint of the coastline in the distance and a bit of blue water far off in the horizon. It was then that, without warning, a huge brown-colored beast of unimaginable proportions came casually walking out from behind the trees, loping across this field in front of us. I would guess that the the brush it was walking through was some five to six feet high, and its body was clear of it by some four feet. As it walked by, without any hesitation, it turned its head slowly to glance directly at us, but kept walking. It turned away from us and disappeared down what must have been a slope out of our sight. We looked at each other and started to backtrack quickly. With neither of us being willing to stay in the area of what we were certain was a huge Sasquatch. As we walked and talked, both of us were fully convinced that this creature had intended for us to see it. With what First, with what we were calling the warning of the tree shake, and second, by making itself fully visible to us. To me, it was an ever-increasing show by this creature that it didn't want us there, and who knew how it may have ended had we stayed. For the entire hike back out, we had neither heard nor seen anything else, but we couldn't help thinking that this creature was stealthily watching us as we left its domain. The thought had also crossed our minds that perhaps there was more than one on either side of us. I say this because after seeing the creature in the field, I was wondering if the singular footprint which we had seen earlier, as big as it was, was too small to be of that creature. It had to have been some nine feet tall, 1,500 pounds, perhaps even more. Massive. The upper body appeared to be virtually close to two feet thick from front to back. Its arms and hands were off the charts in both size and thickness. The head seemed to be directly connected to the upper body, and by that I mean there was no neck. It had turned its entire upper torso to look at us. Its face had what I would describe as an overhanging brow, and the nose was flat and broad to the face. There was very little hair on the face, with the exception of what I would describe as hair above the lip and on the chin, giving it the appearance of a scraggly beard. We made it all the way back to our starting point, with no further activity being seen or heard from the beast, and yet it had made an indelible mark on both of us, something we will never forget. What do you think of that, Kev? 
Man, that is some sighting, Bill, going right from, uh, you know, some pretty cool footprint sightings and then going all the way to, you know, uh, a dark shadow and then face-to-face with the beast. Yeah. And a tree shake. Wild. Oh, tree shaking, too. I can't forget that. Yeah, it was like... It- This thing must have known they were there, and they were probably right that it had passed ahead of them uh, crossing the trail. uh, Yeah, just kind of shadowing them, right? Yeah, kind of getting to the other side, or who knows, you know? Some really strange stuff, you know? Uh, But, again, good to see some people just doing a little experimentation, that yep. they tried to step in the soil to see how deep they would sink. And yeah, no, I think that's a cool uh, cool experiment, too, right? Practical. We've heard of that before, where somebody sees a, a footprint in the moss or something like that, and then they stand there at 225 pounds, and they don't make any footprint. Right, and here they also observed that it took a short amount of time for the water to fill in their ability to see a print. Right. So they surmised that the creature must have come along pretty close to when they approached it, having left the print. It was nearby. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Can you imagine? Hmm. Nine feet tall, two feet thick from a side view. Hmm. That is a freaking monster. And, And no neck. No neck. We hear that all the time. Yeah, like a tank turret. Invisible neck. Just total beef. Mm. Unbelievable, man. So there you have it. I mean, that's an incredible sighting. Again, people out there doing a little something on their little R&R, and it turns into a full-blown Bigfoot sighting. Oh, yeah. You know. Little hiking, Bill. I don't know. I I don't want to see one when I'm going hiking this summer, but, you know, I'm tempted. Well, I don't think you have any control over that. No, I know. I know. You know, uh, and of course, not that you wouldn't be, you know, keep your eyes in the ground. If you see any funky looking prints, take a stop and give it a close look, you know. A lot of people. Yeah, pe- man. A lot of people finding tracks out there. Yeah, that's know, for sure. Uh, in a variety of locations, you know, little skid marks. Places where it looks like something got its lost its footing, uh, yep. he, heel toe impressions, you know areas that were previously muddied in a rainfall that are now dry. Uh, that seems to be the run of the mill how things are captured, you know. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, if you buy any streams, you know, think about this: how many encounters that we uh, have spoken about. Involved being near to water. Oh, right? yeah. Always like down in a valley where there's a lake access or river access or stream. Right. Almost always. Yep. Now, of course, that's usually where the people are, too, whether they're fishing or, you know, hiking along. It's just beautiful. Usually the sound of the river, et cetera. Right. But that certainly you are right, Bill. That's where most of the sightings occur. Yeah, and that's that's how it pans out, right? The animals need the water. We like to be by the water. 
And if you were going to hike and had a chance to go to a little lake, you would, right? Well, yeah, and there's food there. Sure. Because the animals go there to drink. There's fish in the stream, etc. So it's a good uh, good little uh, drive-in stop for the hairy man. Sure, and it's a good place to find a human for lunch. Ah. Hmm. Yeah. Here's a human. Nice. I'm, I'm a little hungry. I was going to eat a moose today, but Kevin looks good. <laughs> All right, Bill, that is a great account. We are going to go out to listener mail, but we got some good ones. And you might have heard, I heard some growling and like snarling out in my backyard, looking out into the darkness. It wasn't Martha because she's sound asleep, but maybe it was a dog man. I wish I would. Our first letter comes in from Buddy. From Perth, Australia, out in the wild west of Australia. Uh huh. And he writes simply, "Bring back Dogman." Wow! Can't get enough of the red eyes and pointy ears looking through the second story window. Oh my god! Way goodness. creepier than our little old Yowie. Yeah, yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that was my, uh, the folks down in Louisiana. Remember that with the lightning flash, Kevin? They said they saw the lightning it. flashing, looking out the window and seeing the pointy-eared snout looking in the window with red eyes. Oh, man. So Buddy liked that one. So Buddy, <coughs> we'll see what we can do. Bill, see if you can dust off a dog man encounter and I'll do the same. Well, I do have uh, some dogman encounters. Uh, the problem is uh, I don't have, like, any instant recall from my inventory. And I really, if you saw the way I work, I don't particularly have any organized methodology. Uh, <laughs> so I could uh, work at that uh, if I remember. <laughs> But really, I, I kind of enjoy just randomly bringing things to the table. Yeah, that's you know? okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I'll uh, look for some dog, man, for cryptids in the news and other oddities as well. Yeah, and there was already something else we talked about uh, doing that I already forgot about. So <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and while you're forgetting about stuff, send me that autographed copy of a book. I already forgot about it. All right. Our second letter comes in from Adam from Iowa. And I think Adam's written into us before. Let's see what he says here. Hey there. Oh, and the subject is building things on graveyards. Hmm. Hey there, guys. I'm gradually getting caught up with your podcast. Excuse Uh me. I'm currently on episode 68. He says... These type of things fascinate me. You mentioned building on top of graveyards when talking about Hales Bar Dam. If you have not already, look up Black Hope Cemetery in the Newport housing development near Crosby, Texas. Read about what some of these homeowners experienced. It gave me the creeps. And also read about the Villas... Villasca Axe Murder House in Iowa. 
Is that? Oh, this is the one you were talking about, Bill. I think you talked to him, right? I spoke he to him. He said it's very haunted. I actually stayed there overnight with a paranormal investigation team back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And I have some stories about that night. As I've always believed, and it seems you do as well, evil entities cannot harm those of us marked out by the Lord. Hmm. I love the gospel stories of Mark when Jesus casts out demons with so much authority that they scatter in fear. I'm glad we are on his side. (laughs) I'll continue to get caught up with the podcast and will likely chime in with insights and ideas now and then. My nine-year-old son loves hearing me recount tales of the Rougarou, the Dark Watchers, children with black eyes, and of of course, Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Take care and God bless Adam from Iowa. Wow. Good uh, stuff. I got to check out some of those graveyard stories. Ooh. Yeah. Check out that scene, Kev, down in Texas he was talking about. Yeah. Uh, we got to see what the, she was shaking. Black Hope, Black Hope Cemetery. I mean, it's got a name right there. Like when they call it the Black Hope Cemetery, that's not good right there. Yeah. Where does Black and Hope go together? That's going to be. In uh, a graveyard. It's going to be some weird stuff coming out of that. Yeah. Something, something going on. Well. We'll get back to you on that one, folks. Uh, yeah, I spoke to Adam. He had some odd experiences in that house. It's a place where they had to pay. You know, a lot of these... Pay to stay. Yeah, a lot of these purported haunted locations are now charging people who want to thrill or ghost hunters to stay there for a night, you know, two or yeah, three or four. Bust out the, maybe they bust out the Ouija board, too. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, there's no doubt they would. I mean, really, people don't know what they're getting into. You know what I mean? <laughs> How many times have you watched one of these ghost shows, if you've ever watched one of them, and uh, one or two of the participants who are regularly involved uh, will say that they think that things have followed them home? <laughs> yeah. And they're serious. Yeah. You yeah. know, like... Uh, Somebody will say, look. A little spiritual hitchhiker. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad stuff, Mm. man. It's bad stuff. It's called attachment. Not good. Not good. Yeah. You know what? All right. We're going to move to Michigan, Bill, Mm -hmm. with Joe. And the subject is my sister. Not my sister. Not your sister, Bill, but Joe's sister. Okay. He says, hey, guys, hope you are well. I just have to say that that women that turned your podcast into a drinking game, oh my God, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> okay, my sister, she's staying with my wife and I for a month or so. She lives in Quebec. She came down to help with my dad. Her and my brother-in-law live on three acres in the middle of nowhere in the province of Quebec. They were driving home one night, and my sister says, holy crap. Okay, that's not what she really said. Yeah. (laughs) What is that? My brother-in-law said it was a cow. Okay, that was four years ago. And, Bill, I did put down that cheap beer, and I bought one of your books. My sister started reading it, and she says, holy crap. I think I saw a Bigfoot. He was walking on all fours. 
I asked her if it's back legs bent at the knee. And funny thing was, she said yes. I played her some of the chatter from the Sierra Sounds, and she again says, good golly. Okay, that's, again, not what she really said. Mm -hmm. We've been hearing those sounds for years. My brother-in-law just kept telling her it's a bunch of coyotes. I told her when she gets home to start recording those sounds, and I'll send them to you guys when I get them. And she told me she also found uh, where it has been using the bathroom. And she said the scat looked like human, and there was a lot of it. Mm -hmm. She was also thinking, who is walking into our yard to do this? Guys, I love your podcast. You do a great job. Keep up the great work. Joe from Michigan. What do you think there, Bill? That's freaking loaded, boy. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And again, here we are up in uh, Michigan. Uh, do we know, without giving them up, any location in Michigan, or we don't know? Don't know. Yeah. Any, don't know. You know, multifaceted, right? Scat. I was just talking to somebody about uh, Bigfoot uh, having a potential to be knock-kneed. Really? Because, yeah, because if you think about it, if you try walking out in your yard in a linear fashion for any distance, one foot in front of the other, right. it's a very odd kind of gait for us to maintain. It's kind of uncomfortable. Hmm. But the fact that these guys seem to walk with their steps in line on a regular diet, a regular basis, it leads me to believe that they may be uh, the anatomy of their knees uh, may be quite a bit different than ours. You know, allowing the knees to come inward more so the this one foot in front of the other would be more natural for them or wouldn't be bothersome. Could be. Certainly could be. You know, kind of weird. I don't know. Of... I don't have any experience with that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Our last letter, Bill, mm -hmm. comes in from Austin in Arizona. And he says, hey, Bill and Kev, I'm currently serving active duty as a firefighter in the Marine Corps. Mm. So first off, Austin, thank you so much for your service and your bravery. Mm -hmm. He says, and I just want to say thank you for, thank you before sharing my encounter on the Joint Army Air Force Base for making my long shifts at our firehouse so much more interesting. I discovered your podcast while I was out fishing on one of my days off. The one where you talked about the three-episode documentary of the investigative journalist called Sasquatch on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He said, you make the longest and hardest days that much better. Anyways, this story begins in the summer before I joined in 2018. I was a newly graduated and freshly turned 18-year-old kid, spending the summer with my mother and stepfather, who serves in the Army on the Joint Army Air Force Base Lewis McCord in Tacoma, Washington. Every morning, I went on regular walks talking with a friend of mine back in Illinois. 
Some days I'd venture out to the gas station right by the house to get a pack of cigarettes before my hike. And on this one particular day, it wasn't your typical day in Washington, which was normally gloomy and dark. It was midsummer, so it should have been a cool 60 degrees out with some rain, but that day was exceptionally sunny and 70 degrees. As I approached the normal route to embark on a different part of the trail I hadn't yet explored, I had a sense of dread come over me. While on the phone with my friend Clayton, I remember vividly a sense of vertigo being turned around in the woods. I tried talking with Clayton to call for help because I couldn't find my way out of the woods. But when I looked at the phone, the call had dropped, which wasn't too unusual in the area, but that scared me the most. When I looked up in front from my phone, there was a tall, dark figure just in line with the trees about 10 to 15 feet in front of me with what appeared to be a grayish, contorted face. Without speaking, it spoke without speaking to me, almost as if it forced these thoughts into my head. And I quote, This area is not safe. Continue elsewhere. In a flash of stumbling backward and away from this creature, I ended up on the complete opposite side of the trail that was a good two miles away from where I had entered. I immediately called Clayton back with hysteria, and he was absolutely stunned at what I had told him, which was hard to do because in high school, Clayton, myself, and a few other friends would regularly visit supposedly haunted locations all throughout the Midwest, whenever we could, so his sense of things paranormal and scary never really set him off. It took me a week before I could muster up enough courage to go back to where I had my encounter with what I had presumed to be a witch or a Bigfoot. On my way there, again on the phone with Clayton, the call dropped again. On my toes, I began looking around, but saw nothing, and I didn't have any vertigo either. Weirdly enough, I had another thought which seemed pushed into my head, which said, It is safe to continue your adventure, but be warned, do not destroy anything you find. Upon walking through the trails, I didn't find much but a few charred fire pits which looked abandoned and an area that looked like it was cleared except for a single sapling that had weird symbols carved into it. To this day... I swear that there is some sort of cult or witch activity in Tacoma, Washington that's going on. After talking with some of the locals there, I found that they've had their own encounters with this figure and thoughts almost guiding them through the trails. Tacoma is a beautiful place located at the base of Mount Rainier, but I would rather swim across the ocean than come across whatever I saw again. I swear by Bill's slogan, always carry more gun than you think you're going to (laughs) need. Boy, that is one loaded email. And by the way, when he said, I think it was a witch or a Bigfoot, he really said a witch. I added the Bigfoot. (laughs) Oh, okay. I mean, that is just... It's definitely a witch story. Some type of evil, evil witch story in the woods. Some entity confronting him, you know. 
Absolute creep fest, pushing thoughts into his mind. Did he say, Kev, I was going to say, Kev, can you stop and go back? Did he say sure. after, after he saw this thing, he found himself two miles away or something? I think he just meant that he was backtracking and, you know, running. And by the time he realized that he was two miles away, I uh, okay. think he was like transported. Okay, yeah. okay. I kind of... Yeah, it was kind of funny how he wrote it, but I think that's all he meant. Yeah, I kind of missed that. And I was like, huh? You know... Yeah, kind of weird that he had that feeling of vertigo as well, you know. Yeah, well, you know, strange. strange things happen, boy, I'll tell you. You know, there no are people doubt. There are people who've gotten sick uh, when they believe Bigfoot was around. Yeah, uh, yeah, and not just from the stank. No, just like psychologically, like pain, uh, yeah. need for hospitalization, mm. uh, vertigo, loss of, you know, muscle, muscle you know, like just... Weak. So uh, it's a very strange thing, you know. And who's to say? We have no evidence, right? We There's no hardcore proof of no, anything nothing. related to that other than you believe it was true being there. That's weird. 100%. So we started out with the creep. With the Ouija board, the exorcist, etc., and we ended with the creep, a witch in the woods in Tacoma. So wow. that's it, Bill. Great podcast. So, folks, if you haven't left us a five-star review, please leave us one tonight when you're listening or today when you're listening. Those five-star reviews are really the only means we have to attract new listeners to the podcast. And by getting new listeners, we can stay on schedule and keep Bill's internet working. So it's important. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, folks... If you should find yourselves walking along a trail at Tacoma, it would be best if you remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.